Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, so we are, uh, for those of you who, who might be watching online, not familiar with me, my name is, is George Graham, the senior pastor here at River of Life Fellowship. Um, today, we are going to be continuing on in our series, Understanding the Book of Acts. And we're in part 10, but we're actually in number three of our discussion about establishing the church. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking pretty heavily about our connection to the church, the purpose for the church, um, you know, why are we here? Why we do this? Why do we build buildings like this? Why do we gather? Isn't it just easier to do it at home? I mean, there's a lot of parts to it. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we've gone through and haven't spared a whole lot of, uh, uh, feelings. <laughs> I'm not known as an overly emotional minister. That's just kind of the way it works. I prefer the truth. Um, and basically, so we've been building up to, to today. And, and what I'm going to do today is I'm going to finish up with this book. This is my guide for today. So for those of you who are familiar with the first principles study, um, one of the things that we don't do here at, ch- at, uh, at, at church is we don't have what you would consider a foundations class. Most churches have a set of, set of classes they walk you through to help you understand the church and understand us and understand our doctrine. We have a program called First Principles. And no, I did not come up with this program. People way, 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 way smarter than me came up with this. Um, it's an organization called Antioch or Build International. Um, and this is a two and a half year program. Yeah, that's why a lot of people don't get into it. Um, but everyone who does, I have found, absolutely loves it. It changes their, changes their life. Because what it does is it takes all the miscellaneous pieces of your faith, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, and it puts them in an order. And it lets you know what, what you're missing. It shows you the holes in your understanding of your faith as you start walking through. And this is the second book in the, ser- in the, in the first series. And it's called Belonging to a Family of Families. Let me make sure I'm not lying here. Yes, it is the second book. Um, Belonging to a Family of Families. And this is all about the church and our relationship to the church. And so as we were walking through this study, I wanted to make sure I finished with this for two different reasons. One, it's a great book. And two, a little plug for the first principles series. Uh, Because we have groups going on right now. We don't start them. They don't, they don't start a lot of time. They don't, they're not constant throughout the year. We start them in in groups uh, because you have to get a group together and everyone walks through it at the same time. So the people that you're in your group with when it starts, they're the ones you're with for, for a couple of years. It's a really, really great opportunity. So when they come up, make sure you sign up for them because they're not big classes. They're usually somewhere between four and six. Uh, and that's typically how, how, we, how we like it because uh, it allows everyone to get involved. So I'm going to be walking through this section. If you're familiar with the book, you'll understand where we're going today. And, and if you're not, I hope you, I hope you uh, open your mind to some new, some new thoughts. So what I'm going to do, there are six sections within the book. I'm only going to cover the first five, and what I'm going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the scriptures. I'm going to make a couple of observations. I'm not going to go really deep into each part because it would just simply take too long, um, and that's what the classes are for, but I want to take a look at this. And the very first one, when we talk about elements of our faith and elements of the church, is that the church is the centerpiece of Christ's plan for the church. And the scripture reference is uh, Ephesians two nineteen. 
through chapter 3, verse 12, and I want to read these to you. Some of these sections are a little long, but it's, it's not a bad idea to read a lot of Scripture, especially in church. I recommend it. It starts, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Very important to remember that, that term, household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. I love Paul's writing. He's the king of run-on sentences, but I really love his writing. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit of his holy apostles and prophets. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make, excuse me, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, This is the important part. The fellowship of the mystery, which has been hidden from the the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, where before the mysteries of God were brought forth through the priesthood and only the priesthood. Today, the mysteries of God are brought forth through his church. And that word in the Greek is ekklesia, and it means those who are called out. Those who have been called out of the world and into him unite, we come together, we gather in a community of faith so that we may make known the great mystery of faith. So it's no longer just those called priests. We are a kingdom of priests, as I mentioned last week. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. Like it or not, you are a minister of the gospel. The church, as the organized community of faith, is central to the plan of Christ and the mission of the gospel. Without the organized church, what you end up with are small, isolated groups that eventually end up believing that they're the only ones who do it right. Anyone ever run across a group like that? I've been in churches like that. The church where I originally got saved, one of the reasons that I left was the minister was talking about how the people in the church needed to make sure that when God called him home, they got someone who was real because they were the only church in the North Country that was really holding up the true gospel. And I went, even as a new believer, I went, I don't think that's right. Don't, don't think that's accurate. But when the only person you're listening to is yourself... You can convince yourself of a lot of things. 
What ends up happening is orthodoxy will eventually give yield to momentary passions and desires of personal spiritual achievement. Meaning, if you think God is calling you to do it, whether it's right or not, you'll talk yourself into it. Because you and Jesus have a deal worked out. You've talked to him, you think he's talked to you, and he's okay with everything you're doing that's not found anywhere in the Bible. I got news for you. He's not okay with it. You might think Jesus has an understanding. Yes, he does. You're rebellious. That's the understanding. And eventually what ends up happening when we distance ourselves from the church is that we end up, excuse me, God ends up becoming that spiritual force that we call on to do our will. Not the Lord of our life to whom we give our submission, our talents, our skills, our lives. One of the most important purposes of the church is that it holds us in a place of orthodoxy, humility, and unity. Orthodoxy is not something you hear talked a lot about in charismatic church, churches because it's an old word and we don't like it. But orthodoxy basically means the structure of our worship. And what that does, that keeps us from going off the rails. Now you might, you, now if you've been in the charismatic church, and by the way, we are a charismatic church, so I actually consider us more like... Um, uh, uh, fundismatic, you know, fundamental care. I tried the other way, but charismatic sounded wrong. <laughs> you know, it's just, there was something about that I went, I don't know. I mean, it fits in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I, I prefer fundismatic. Um, where we're charismatic to the point where it's got to agree with the Bible. When it doesn't agree with the Bible, we, we walk away. Because it doesn't make any difference how much I think the Spirit is leading me to go in a direction. If the Bible doesn't go there, I don't need to go there. So we stay with the word of God, but we also let the spirit do what he's going to do. So orthodoxy basically keeps us in that, in that path. It keeps us in our lane. And that's important. Humility comes from being in the place where you are subject to a view other than your own. Now, if you're a college student, I know this is, this is dangerous talk. Being subject to a view that you don't agree with. Having to hear from and listen to people who may not have the same exact viewpoint as you is considered hate speech in most academic campuses today. Exactly. We have a safe space in the back if anyone needs it. They're the double doors, they lead to the parking lot. (laughs) But this is humility. You see, being able to walk with someone that you disagree with because you're both headed in the same direction anyway is okay. You know, I can go out and have pizza with someone who likes anchovies even though I think they have a demonic influence in their life. Some of you are going, hmm, yeah. I can go out for wings with, with Abel Larkin even though he likes them made, I'm pretty sure, by just evil things that make it so that you can't feel your face and your body starts to sweat. You begin to convulse. Your heart starts to pound. You can't feel your tongue for a week. He enjoys this. He thinks this is fun. No. You shouldn't be able to start a fire with a chicken wing. It's just, there's something wrong with that, you know? But see, we can go out together and I can, you know what? I can order different ones. And I can have fun watching him break out in sweat. No thanks. But it's okay. And you know, I can sit down and have a theological conversation with someone on an opposite side of an issue and not hate that person. 
Because at the end of the day, I'm not the one that judges them. Christ is. So it keeps us in a place of humility. We don't allow ourselves to get too puffed up. And it puts us in a place of unity because we have to make the conscious choice to walk out our faith with people who may not completely agree with us. But we walk out our faith because somewhere along the line, I might need their help, they may need mine. You see? I may need them to help pick me up. They may need me to help pick them up. We're going in the same direction. We're on the same path. Let's walk together, even if we don't necessarily agree on every point. When we spend our days convincing ourselves of our own mental and moral superiority, we end up fooling ourselves into thinking that we don't need, one, need other Christians or the church. You ever heard this? It's just me and Jesus. No, it's just you. Jesus is waiting. The truth is, the people who believe that they hear from God so clearly that they no longer need the church, they don't actually hear from God because if they're really hearing from God, he'd tell them to get them back to church. He'd tell you to get back with the community. He'd tell you to come back to his people. He'd tell you to come back. You see, you can't love God and not his family. You see, we're the bride of Christ. You ever married into a family and you were like, you know, I like the bride. I like my spouse, but she comes with baggage. There's other people associated with this. Guess what? When you marry into the family of God, you get the whole family, even the weird ones. And everyone has those people on, you know what? If you don't, if you don't think that there's a weird one in your family, it's you. Just no one's told you yet. It's the same way. Gotta love them all. The second element to our faith as we walk through the family of families is that the church is a family of families. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15 says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But listen to this. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Each church that bears the name of Christ has publicly chosen to represent Christ in the context of that community and region. Every church that throws a cross up somewhere, every church that wants to speak in the name of Christ is now a representative of Christ to that community. Some do it really well. Some do it not so well. We all know this to be true. Likewise, the home, each home of a family that calls themselves Christian also has publicly chosen to represent Christ to the families in their area and the people within their sphere of influence. See, the church is a family of families. We are a family, but we're a family of family units. And the family unit in the home is actually structured, if you read your Bible, very similar to the family unit of the church. So as a church... When we stand up and we say, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel mission, we want to bring you closer to him so that you can be forgiven of your sin and, be, and find entrance into heaven for eternity. The church is putting that message out. And guess what? You, as people who attend this church, are also representing that message of the church. And at the same time, your family, your own home, you know that your home is a household of God? It's a household of God. So that all the people who know that you're a Christian, and by the way, if the people immediately around you don't know that you're a Christian, there's a problem. 
they should know, right? They should know. You should see Christianity is not a secret thing. It's supposed to be public. We're supposed to declare the lordship of Christ, right? Confess with our mouth. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. No, it's you stand up. Jesus is my Lord. And that means the people who know you, when you're screaming colorful, creative four-letter words at your dog because they're not listening, or your kids, or your spouse, you're representing the message of the gospel. You're representing Christ in your home, like it or not. So when your neighbors, I don't know how many of you have those neighbors that like you open one window and like theirs, theirs is right there. I hate that, you know? So you know, like in the back of your mind, if you're going to get mad and you need to yell, you do it in another part of the house, you know? Sorry, daddy's in his angry room, <laughs> you know? Because we represent the kingdom of God and the gospel message. And if the people around you can't tell that there is a benefit in your life to knowing and following Christ... <laughs> then we got to do some work. If your life doesn't stand out from theirs as something attractive compared to the life that they're living, there's a problem. And at the same time, the church has to represent the same way. You see, we're a family of families, and we're central to the plan of God. Now, being a representative of God may not seem fair to you. You might not like it, but in simplest terms, (laughs) your life, good, bad, or ugly, is in full view of everyone around you. When you're at work, when you're shopping, when you're out among the community, the way you represent yourself when, I don't know, you're out buying something and you decide to tear that sales associate a new one because they got you mad. Then you show up to church on Sunday And in walks the sales associate, and you're like, oh, dear Lord. They're going to know I'm a deacon. (laughs) No, that's not, I really hope that doesn't happen. Hey, that guy preaching, didn't we sell him a keg? No, see, this is why we don't do this. Because we represent something greater than ourselves. Think about this. How we as the church represent ourselves in the community, the message that we bring, the way we care for one another, the way we speak about one another. Can I say that again? The way we speak about one another, especially when we're mad. All these issues connect to the representation of our faith. You think about this. When you feel like the church or someone in it, has offended you in any, any way. It doesn't really make any difference what it is or how, or how big it is. We have a choice as believers. See, Matthew chapter 18 gives us a, pa- a pattern to walk through when we have issues. We have a choice. We can walk through that pattern or not. So the question is, do you, because you're going to speak about this to someone, right? When you're offended, you speak about it to someone. How are you going to represent the church and your own faith in that process? Do you share your frustration with other people so that you could work it out to make sure? I'm, I'm not gossiping. I just want to make sure 
that, that I'm thinking about this correctly. So I'm going to tell you and 18 other people about the situation that I had with so-and-so before I go talk to so-and-so. Uh-huh. Do we spend our time running people down, speaking about them badly, starting rumors? Or do we do the biblical thing and go to that person and try to work things out? You see, the way we handle things, especially when we're offended, has a great deal of impact on how we represent our faith in the public. And I cannot tell you how many times I have had conversations with groups, with individuals, and at some point in time in the conversation, it says, yeah, but a couple of years ago, you, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have a dog's memory, but every 15 minutes it resets. Okay? <laughs> no, a couple of years ago, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give about that much care to it. And honestly, the other people around you are going to give about that much care to it. Because what has happened is that you have grabbed hold of this thing, you've buried it inside of you, and you spent two years deciding how right you are and how wrong they are, and no matter what happens in the process, there is nothing that will ever be done that will make that right because you've convinced yourself too deeply of the righteousness of your view, even though you may have been wrong from the start. You see how it works? Anyone ever been there other than me? Some of you are like, I'll, I'll blink my eyes as a yes, but I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> because that person's sitting next to me. I married him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you see, what ends up happening is one way, the biblical way, helps both sides. It preserves your witness and preserves the witness of the church. The other way hurts both sides. It hurts your witness and it hurts the church. See, if you choose to be a gossip mill, start speaking poorly about people, then not only do you hurt the other person, you don't even give them a chance to make it right. You're actually denying them something you would want for yourself, which is to correct the problem. And some of us don't even stop to think that we may have actually had it wrong from the beginning. We may have misunderstood. And now we're offended for literally no reason. Since I've become pastor here, I've been pastor for 11 years now. This is, I think this is the 11th. It's something like that, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's 2010, whatever it is, whatever it is now. Um, since I became pastor here, more than once, I've run into people in the community, not in the church, in the community, that have said basically this to me, you're not what I expected. I thought, did you think I'd be taller? Please tell me you thought I'd be taller. I want to sound taller. And they say, you're not, you're not what I expected. I said, that, that, what, what do you mean? I always ask, what do, you, what do you mean by that? It always ends up happening like this somehow. Well, I know so-and-so who works with so-and-so who attends your church, and they told me X about you. Ah, interesting. See, it always comes back. Interesting. So what is, it that, what is it that you were expecting about me or my church that changed? What, what was I able to change? And it almost always comes down to this. I don't think I was given the whole truth. No, of course you weren't, because you were given one side of an opinion 
that was never actually rectified to begin with. And I usually end the conversation something like, I'm glad I was able to set the record straight. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a chance to be restored in your eyes. You know, it, it works. And this, honestly, this happens at least once a year. You get used to it. You're in front of enough people. It just, it's just part of it. But think about this. Romans 12, 18 through 21, reads like this. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. How many? All. Does that include that annoying little snot? And all of you just got a picture in your mind. Maybe it was me. (laughs) It's all. Everybody. Even the ones you don't like. Listen to this. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you heap coals of fire on his head. Do not become, become, uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, so when we're feeling like we've been unjustly dealt with, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take the high road and follow the word of God. We walk the same path, so when we fall, we pick each other up. Even if it's the one that you're glad tripped. Okay? I've been waiting for them to hit the ground so long. I'm going to help him up, but I'm going to grab his arm and drag him for a minute first. <laughs> no, we just help him up. Because eventually you may be that person. You know, for every person that we despise in our mind, we're despised in someone else's mind. <laughs> I guarantee you. Someone is going to feel the same way about you that you feel about somebody else. So I would, I would rather try to be the best example of myself that I can and let everybody else work it out for themselves. The third part of our faith is that we live within a believing family. Ladies, you might want to plug your ears for this very first part. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, to your husbands. As, as. Wives, submit to your, to, your own, to your own husbands. I'm going to tell you why that's important in a minute. To your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Well, we stop at verse 24 a lot, don't we? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives and their own bodies, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does to the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, in particular, so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I just want to point one thing out really quick before we move on. You notice the part about the men's responsibility is way longer than the woman's? Please understand that, guys. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. <laughs> 
<laughs> that just makes me laugh. Because how many parents are just like, I'll take you out. Yep. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, no matter how funny it might be. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who, you are, uh, uh, who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with, uh, with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing, what the, doing the will of God from the heart. With, the good, uh, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Some bond servants were slaves, some bond servants were not. It's important to know that. And you, masters, do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Hmm. It can be very tempting to read through this passage of Scripture and see sexism, a license for abuse, and a license to be controlling. I've known a lot of men over the years who have used this passage as a way of controlling their family, having these death grips on things. But if we get to know the character and nature of God, one of the things that, we all, that always comes out is in when, we're, when we're living within a believing family, which is what this, this particular section is talking about, it's less about our ability to control and more about our willingness to submit. See, sometimes God lays out your authority, but he lays it out to you in a, in a method of responsibility to what he will hold you accountable to. Not just what somebody else was supposed to do. How many times have you heard this? I'm the husband, you're supposed to do what I say. I'm the parent, you're supposed to do what I say. Wife, submit. I've, I've, I've had this, these conversations in counseling. You're my wife, you're supposed to do what I say. Okay. What if I were to take this in a slightly different direction and maybe reword each of these sections to give us a sense of our own responsibility within the authority? It might read something like this. Wives, be the kind of wife that your husband wants to work hard to provide for. God will hold him accountable for the results of his home. So do your best to help him. That changed it a little bit? Didn't change the verse. Didn't change the, the overall authority of anything. But it does put the, put the responsibility back on where it's supposed to be. It's not up to the husband to force the wife to submit. It's up to the husband to be the kind of person that a wife wants to submit to. How about this one? Be the kind of man, husbands, be the kind of man that your wife wants to submit to. Do your best to do for them what Christ did for you. Christ never put you on the back burner because he had other things he wanted to do. Christ made time for you. Christ set aside all that he was entitled to just to make room to be there for you when you needed him. Do the same thing for your wife because in doing so, you not only show love to her, but also to yourself. Didn't change the meaning, but boy, does it change the direction, doesn't it? How about this one? Children, do your best to bring honor to your family name. Start by realizing that your parents are not the enemy. They're doing their best to raise and provide you. Make sure you let them know that you can see that and that you don't want to add to the difficulty of their responsibility. How about this one? Employees, do your best to do the job that you've been hired to do. 
Stop complaining that the person who is writing your paycheck is also the one telling you what, uh, telling you what to do. Boy, that drives me insane. Who are you to tell me what to do? Boss! Hello? Work hard and make them thankful that they hired you. When I was still working in the restaurants, I was out in Sackett's Harbor. One of the restaurants that I had was a brew pub. Uh, that was one of the multi-site places that I was dealing with the company that owned it. And while I was there, there was a kid who was working there. He was doing dishes. His mom was really proud of him because it was one of his first jobs. He was about 16. About two weeks into the job, he didn't show up. Guess what? Bye. <laughs> Let him go. It was really that simple. I got a call from the mom. The mom. Moms, don't ever do this. You can't fire my boy. <laughs> I've got news for you. You give me a second, I'll hire him back, I'll fire him twice. <laughs> so actually, actually, ma'am, I can. You don't understand, now listen, I, I'm not making this up. You don't understand how difficult this is for his... Self-worth. Now, I have grace to a point. So the response basically was this. Ma'am, if he had self-worth, he would have shown up for work. So I'm doing you a favor. My suggestion to you is to teach your son that he should fulfill his commitments. Because right now I've already replaced him. And I'm moving on. So have a great summer. It's really that simple. For those of you who are still in school, might be entering the workplace at some point in time, here's a piece of advice for you. Show up early, not on time, early. And this is, this, this is, this will blow your mind. Ready? It's three words. Ready to work. I know, four-letter word. I used it in church. (laughs) Ready to work. And you work until your shift is over. Okay? Parents, this is important. If you're spending your days picking up after your kids and teaching them to sit on their butt, play video games, and get on social media, you are not doing them any favors. You are setting them up for a disaster. Because at some point in time, they're going to meet someone like me or Roger, and that's it. <laughs> you notice he's laughing, but Kathy's going, mm-hmm. Because <laughs> we both hired and fired way too many people. I've had a lot of friends work for me over the years in the restaurants, and anyone who's ever worked for me knows there's a conversation we have at the very beginning. You're my friend. I care about you. I want you to be here. You mess up. I'll fire you myself. If you could live with that, you can work here. If you can't, then you need to get another job. And I've had more than one friend test that proposition. And I wish them well on their next place of employment. It's an important thing that we fulfill our roles. That we do what we're supposed to do. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. How about this one? Employers, they're people, not cattle. Treat them well, pay them fair, and do your best to make sure they know you appreciate them and their efforts. Do you see how what we did in this situation is we didn't take away the responsibility of authority. What we did is we put the responsibility back where it belongs. 
There is a responsibility on a wife to honor herself before God and her husband. There is a responsibility on the husband to honor himself to his wife and to God. Not to lord it over her, but to be worthy of the authority that he has been given. A husband should be worthy of the authority he has been given. That means that we have a responsibility to that woman to honor her and to live up to the responsibility that we gave to love, honor, cherish, to protect for, to provide. From this day to the end. This is important. You want God to bless your marriage? Fight for it. Too many people see marriages as disposable. They're not. Number four, living within a family of families. Timothy 2, 1 through 15 says, But as for you, speak with the things that are proper for sound doctrine. Now listen to this. The older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. You ever notice that they, they talked about drunk women and not drunk men? I just want to, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. You know why the wives drink, guys? Just pointing it out, okay? <laughs> Teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You know why we follow the pattern set before us in the word of God in our homes? So the word of God may not be blasphemed. It's not to make ourselves look like super saints. It's to protect the message. Likewise, exhort young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a, a, a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is uh, uh, an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say about you. I'll share you a story about that in a minute. Exhorting bondservants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. It means when you've got a smart aleck remark, keep it to yourself. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may be adorned. They may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly issues, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good, we- good works. Speak these things, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Early in my career and early in my Christianity, I was working for a place in Watertown. I won't tell you where it is because it's uh, still there and uh, I have a good relationship with the owners. I was one of the cooks and I was young, I was young in my faith and I was very, very plain. Uh, as, a, as a young chef, I used to carry around a toolbox and I had a big bumper sticker on the front of it that said, give Jesus a chance. I might as well put a big tag on there that says, please mess with me. So as I'm in this restaurant, for weeks, the guys that were there, like, they just didn't give me a break. Constantly, constantly needling me. And I, I got pretty thick skin. You know, when you're this size, you have to. It's just... But after, I think it was about three weeks, at some point in time, I was at, the, I was at my end. And I spoke a term I don't use. 
out loud. And I'm, I'm, please believe me, I'm not making this up. One of the guys, the guy who actually caused it, jumped up, said, yes, I won! I said, what? He says, I won, I won! And he, he went and got the other guys. Guys, I won, I won! They took out money and gave it to him. When they knew that I was a Christian, they had a standing bet. Who could get me to swear first? And that's what they were doing the entire time. It wasn't even a lot of money. But that was a level of respect they had for Christians. They did say, we were really proud of you, you lasted a while. That was the last time I ever spoke like that in that restaurant. Because then I knew. Okay. Mm -mm. But it was a wake-up call for me. You know, that there are people out in the world that will do that. But I must have soundness of speech so the word of God may not be blasphemed. I need to represent Christ better. You think about this. In every generation... There are young people convinced that their parents and grandparents just don't understand the challenges of living today. In this section in Timothy, what are we told? The old will teach the younger. The more experienced will teach the less experienced. Now, sometimes the more experienced is the younger. Right? If you need your TV programmed, chances are you're not calling grandma. It's just a reality. Right? I remember walking into my parents' house once, and they bought this, I mean, ginormous 3D TV. Absolutely gorgeous. I look up in the corner, and it's like this 10-inch number four. It's like bright green. I looked at it, and I went, what's the deal with the number? They're like, well, yeah, the channel numbers show up on the screen. I don't know what, what the deal is. I'm like, oh, good grief. I grabbed their remote. Boop, 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 boop. There, they're done. Like, wow, we didn't know those would come off. It's fine, I got you. You want me to make the VCR stop blinking 12? <laughs> Some of you are like, we need to talk after service. <laughs> there are several people who I tend to do tech support for, but just understand, it comes with a degree of ridicule. Right, Peggy? So, <laughs> If you ever see Peggy quickly hide something as I'm walking by, it's her phone because she doesn't want me to see the, how many thousands of unopened emails she has <laughs> because my eye twitches. <laughs> that red box just shows up. You know, but inside of a believing family, inside of a believing church, God has roles for us. Did you know that? See, God has roles for you inside of your own individual household, wives, husbands, children. You know that God also has roles for us inside the United Church? Those who have been around a little longer and those who haven't. And those who have been around a little bit longer need to understand that part of our role is to teach the younger generation, not just go, well, I hope someone, hope they figure it out. One of the really sad things about the world that we live in today is that, and, and please don't take this wrong, but parents tend to guard their children to the point where no one else around them is ever allowed to say anything bad or correct that child. Don't you tell my child he's doing something wrong. He was lighting the other kid on fire. My angel would never do that. Do you realize that a third of the angels fell? We call them demons. 
This is one of them. Vody Bauckham calls them vipers and diapers. He's got a point. There is a reason why the older are supposed to correct the younger. Do you know that if you don't allow the older, more experienced people who are around your kids to correct them and hold those kids responsible for that correction, you teach them to disobey authority. You teach them to ignore any input but theirs. You teach them to be disobedient. See, God knows what he's doing. I can remember a day where parents would walk kids home. Other parents would walk kids home, sometimes by the ear. Not that it ever happened to me. They usually couldn't reach down far enough to grab my ear. It was usually the back of my neck. And they'd walk you home, and you know what your parents would do? They wouldn't get mad at the person who caught you. You see... I'm not that old, but in my day when parents went to parent-teacher conferences, the parents didn't blame the teacher for the issue with the kid. You know, my kid would act better if you were a better teacher. Well, yeah, but they don't give out tasers in school anymore. No. You see, we're teaching our kids to disrespect authority because we are no longer allowing the older, more experienced to teach the younger, the less experienced. That means older men teach younger men. And you know what they teach them? They teach them how to be men. They teach them how to be men. Not 40-year-old boys. Men. There's a point to being men. Men are just too macho. They're supposed to be. It's called testosterone. And you know what the older women are supposed to teach younger women? How to be women. And that doesn't mean being this quiet, soft, submissive, No, no, no. How to be women. How to be women of God. There's always someone who knows a little bit more than you. They've lived a little longer, they've studied a little more, they've practiced a little harder, or they've faced more challenges in that area. Respect that. Honor that. Learn from that. I'm actually going to jump out. I want to come to an end because I'm going too long because I'm a preacher and I'm about to go on vacation so i got all these extra words I need to get out. <laughs> We're going to close with this. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Our life priorities. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as the universe, not as unwise, <laughs> not the universe. I did just get new glasses. I, I, I would like to point that out. Apparently, I need new glasses again. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. That sounds like today, doesn't it? So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is uh, dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all the things In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And listen to the last part. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Here's a couple questions for you. What do you think would happen if we all made the conscious decision to live our lives in a manner where our commitment to one another was greater than our commitment to ourselves? Our commitment to the community of the faith, 
was greater than our commitment to our own desires. Where the protection of the mission and the reputation of our personal witness was greater than any individual desire we might have. And the protection of the mission and reputation of the church as a whole was more important to us than our own success. What if these things became part of our main decision-making paradigm? What if we realized that the family of families that we live in, that the success of that group is more important than my individual success? Because when everyone succeeds, I succeed. One of the things that you learn in corporate America is that if you're surrounded by other businesses who do the same thing that you do, help them. Because if they succeed, you succeed. Everyone comes up together. One of the best things that happens with restaurants is more restaurants show up. Because you've got more people going out to eat. So everyone succeeds. So in the church, if you want to be successful in your life, in your calling, in your ministry, start making sure everyone around you is successful in their call, in their ministry, in their life. Feed into that. And what you'll find out is that God will take care of your success all by itself. It's important. We are not a family of individuals. We are a family of families. And God has a role for you. He has a place for you. He has a design for your life. The best place to find it is right here. Or if you're just visiting wherever your home church is. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you continually do. I want to thank you, Lord, that you bring us into this place where we can connect with believers and we can connect with followers of your path. Father, thank you for not leaving us out alone. That you have made us not just your children, but part of your family. Help us never look down on that, Lord. Help us never take that for granted. Help us to truly value the family of the church the way you value the family of the church. Let us get past ourselves and start caring about the whole. Bring this up in our lives. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.